This podcast is brought to you by the book Freedom from Fatigue by Tammy Guest. Find out more at TammyGuest.com. FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. I'm here with Tammy Guest, a naturopath who qualified in 2007 from Southern Cross University. And I'd like to first introduce Tammy because I'm at Tammy's clinic slash home slash retreat. And we're just going to be talking about a few varied concepts that move on from our first podcast on fatigue and Tammy's book, Freedom from Fatigue. So, Tammy, welcome to FX Medicine. Hi, Andrew. Great to be here. Tammy, we're in your workspace here, and it's it's an esoteric collection. (laughs) Um, I think the first thing I'm drawn to is this um, excerpt from the local newspaper, the Newcastle Herald, in January 2016. Wealth means health. Tell me a little bit about this story. Yeah, so I have been uh, a regular in the local media, um, predominantly around burnout, especially for uh, the local business owners, and because I've treated so many people in our area specifically around that and um, releasing a book on it at the time. And um, I got some great coverage to make sure that everybody uh, knows that there is another option other than burnout. But that's led to something. This is beautiful. This is Outstanding Health Improvement Services, finalist for Inspirational Health. Well done. Congratulations. Tell me a little little bit about receiving this award. This is a fantastic award. Yeah, so the local business awards um, are a fairly big deal here in Newcastle. And uh, we set a goal as a team um, at our clinic Uh, We sat down and we set our our year's goals and we decided by the end of the year we would be an award-winning health provider. And what do you know, we now have an award for providing um, extraordinary outstanding health services. Um, I'm a big believer in getting everybody on board when it comes to your workplace and it was honestly a collective effort. Um, It wouldn't have happened if we hadn't all been in alignment with that. And um, yeah, I love it. Great teamwork. But you know, one of the things that really, um, I really appreciate about you, it it really sticks out, if you like, about you is that you are very much a non-confrontational, you're you're not a, a, you know, a forceful sort of arrogant businesswoman. You're a very smiley person. You've always been very encouraging and supportive. Indeed, from the first time I met you in a seminar, um, which thank you, <laughs> we won't go into it, but thank you for supporting me. Um, you know, how does the average practitioner out there make these really big goals, which you've made, dreams, and how to materialise them? How do you do that without being, I'm going to say the word, an absolute bastard? I think being in alignment with your truth is really important. Um, you don't have to be somebody else to get it done. And I 
am no different in business to what I am in real life per se because it is my life. And um, some people put on the business hat and, like you said, become a bit of a know-it-all um, and a different persona. And then they put on their home life or their home hat and are a completely different person. That, apart from it being uh, incongruent, it's also exhausting. And not only will you and your team pick it up, but uh, your clients and um, your home life as well. And indeed, you and I were just speaking before about how does one indeed find the various hats, if you like. If you're not good at something, do you become good at something? Like some, some business teachings tell you, you know, you've got to become good at that and you've got to become good at that. But if you're not, it's, if that's not your calling, what do you do about these different areas or different aspects of business to become successful? So my belief is absolutely 100% no way do you go and become uh, good at everything. I, my belief, my core belief is that we have strengths and genius and talents that we have that are in our core and we're here to express them in this lifetime. And uh, going and trying to be something other than you're not or trying and driving and striving to get these, um, you know, the, these apparent... Um, other talents that aren't yours, you know, they, they aren't yours to, to be. You're here to be and express who you are. Um, uh, it, it's, it's exhausting. Again, um, it, it's working outside your truth and your alignment is like pushing poo uphill. <laughs> um, but the thing that is most important about that is if you can't, if, you, if it isn't in your alignment to get those, those um, gifts and talents, somebody else around you has those gifts and talents. And um, an incredible GP um, that is a referral partner with me, she has always talked about, I, don't, I love what you do. I love the results you get with our clients and our, patient, our, our shared patients, but I don't want to do that. I've done so many years of training. I've done so much to do, but I don't want to know about IBS. I can classically diagnose IBS and then I'll pass them on to you. And then you can do all the things that you can do and then you will pass them on to the next um, person within that healthcare team. And the same thing goes with business. If you don't know anything about money, like I didn't in the first instance when I first started out, go and get help with it. Somebody has a passion for those details and those numbers that you have no idea what the word profit or loss means. Go and find somebody who does and pay them to do it because they are there in alignment with their gifts and talents. They're not going to go out and try and fix their health and their well-being or they'll poorly do it and then they'll end up coming and seeing you anyway. So it's about sticking with what you know and being the best version of that possible, not going and trying to do it all yourself half-assed. And indeed, that's where your passion lies because you reached a point of burnout, hence your book, Freedom from Fatigue. But you also spoke about sleep and, and this book stuck out in your bookcase here, Thrive by Ariana Huffington. Tell me a little bit about how you stumbled upon this book and, and where were you at that point in your life to find it? So Ariana Huffington is uh, the... Uh, creator of Huffington Post, which a lot of people will know from uh, the internet as a fantastic means of getting information. And uh, she herself went through burnout and she wrote uh, the book Thrive. And uh, I was on the back end of burnout myself and knowing, knowing it as a clinician, as a practitioner is one thing, but getting it 
on that level of, of a cellular beingness and subcellular level is a whole nother thing. And so I um, really uh, delved into her book from the aspect of being um, a, a, my own client, trying to figure out what was actually going on with me on um, not necessarily a scientific level, but um, on a holistic level. And I'm just moving across your bookcase here because this is really, I love looking at this. It's, there's so many different aspects to it. So just looking at the ones to do with nutrition and diet, um, I see Crazy Sexy Kitchen, which obviously sticks out, but I Quit Sugar. Now, I've, 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 I'm, go I'm going to expose you. Like, we've enjoyed a lovely lunch. And with that, we had a little bit of pear cider. A little bit, our listeners, just a little bit. Tell me how you ratify I Quit Sugar, the book, with your normal dietary practices. And I've got to say, that was a sumptuous lunch. Thank you so much. Um, but that was a beautiful, healthy lunch. How do you ratify that when you're having a little bit of sugar? So my perception around that is a multitude. And it's, it's things that uh, we got taught at college, um, as well as things that I believe from, you know, way back. Um, I love sharing food. I love the social aspect of sharing food. I love the story of where food comes from. I love connecting, um, for want of a better term, energetically to the food I'm eating. So um, I know where that pear cider comes from. It comes up from the Hunter Valley. Um, I know the story that is behind it. I've spoken to the women who um, who grab the extra pears and they, they spend a whole weekend um, getting their hands and feet dirty. They talk about um, getting their whole families involved in creating that, that cider. And it's a limited edition because they predominantly make apple cider. And um, so I love that aspect of it. And the association that I have with that um, makes it a pleasurable experience for me, which creates a really safe environment for my body, scientifically, if we're talking about it, to absorb the nutrients, to um, uh, not necessarily take it on board as a toxin, all those types of things. So when we pair that with um, the food that we ate, we had an extraordinary, um, range of locally um, produced uh, vegetables in our vegetable stack and we had some halloumi on top. Now, I'm a big believer in if your current body's uh, signs and symptoms and the messages it's telling you is that dairy isn't working for me at the moment, i.e. I've got the sneezes, I can't get rid of this cold, um, I've got a foggy head, I'm predominantly snotty and um, overproducing mucus, and I've got a history of getting a test result that led me to believe that uh, dairy is going to be a scientifically proven problem for me, then maybe if you're in a position where your body is stressed, that your gut isn't quite on track and you are getting those signs and symptoms, then the choice then is, do I really need the dairy or not? Same kind of scenario with I Quit Sugar. I think it's a fantastic program um, for people who have, uh, one, a sugar addiction, or two, are well and truly overdoing it on sugar and they've never um, noticed or had an awareness of the signs and symptoms that their body has shown because of the sugar highs and lows, the fatigue patterns, the um, skin conditions, the um, brain fog, they can't concentrate, that kind of stuff, and they've never actually tried a time without sugar. Now, if you're, again, if your signs and symptoms are showing you the messages that your body's telling you that maybe it's time to go down that route, then that's an amazing book for it. 
But if it's not, and you are in a happy place, your body is balanced, you aren't showing signs and symptoms of fatigue patterns, and um, you're obviously absorbing nutrients and doing these things, then food is food. And if it comes with the socio socioeconomic aspect, if it comes with the, the love that's in it, as well as the nutritional aspect, then um, I think the body has an ability to homeostatically balance out any of the things that we have in our environment when they come internally as food. I think one of the major things that our Western society is missing is, as you say, the social aspects of food. And, and if you want to talk about the physical sequelae, uh, the long-term sequelae of overeating, um, the hunger signals that we have, and therefore the sugar imbalances or the obesity or whatever, if we, not concentrated on necessarily, but if we focused on as a very important aspect of our eating, the social aspect, then one of the important things is that while you're talking, you can't eat normally. <laughs> so this is something that I, th I think it's a very important aspect of the Mediterranean diet that we just keep on overlooking, is they sit down and they talk. And they talk 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 with their hands, so you can't eat. <laughs> but, but they talk and so they discuss things. And what that does is slow down the amount of food that you put into your mouth at any one time. So therefore, one of the important aspects of any meal should be actual social interaction, correct? Absolutely, 100%. And not only for the physicality of it slowing down and, uh, and the, the capacity to, um, to take the time to eat, not to vacuum it in, to just um, wolf it down. The, the other aspect of that is what you're talking about. In, if anyone's ever been to the Mediterranean, you know, they're debriefing on every conversation that they've had and the gossip that's happening around the place and how much they love such and such and what an amazing time of year it is and how extraordinary their nature and the environment is at that time. Um, when so-and-so's wedding is coming along and it's extraordinary and they're so full of love and passion. And the second that that happens... Your, you know, your endorphins kick in. Your endorphins kick in, and when we know our endorphins kick in, then we're changing all of the different environments in our bodies. Not only are we changing our neurotransmitters and the way that um, we're focusing and concentrating, we're also changing the way that we're actually digesting because your neurotransmitters, 70% of those, are built within your gastrointestinal lymphoid tissue and your gastrointestinal tract. And if that's happening, your ability to digest goes up the rest and digest factor kicks in rather than the fight and flight factor and when you've got that going on then you're you're absorbing those nutrients you're um, actually creating those enzymes to break those those foods down you're actually taking in not only the nourishment of the food but you're the nourishment of the conversation um, I think that's massively missing in families in particular um, that busyness of not being able to join together for an evening meal is rife and I think it's a huge part of um, the different signs and symptoms and clinical pictures that we see in mums and burnt out dads and the way in which we have behavioural issues in families at the moment um, in clinic. So. Uh, it's a gold question to ask is it, does everybody sit down at the table for dinner uh, because it is the one of the core underlying reasons that there is some of these other issues happening 
So I'm going to move on to a bit of lighter. That was quite a heavy sort of ending. But, but I'm moving on to the, the prehistory of the far side by Gary Larson. <laughs> the biggest ever knock-knock joke book. <laughs> We're going to pass on pyrotology. But I just want to sort of finish on an aspect that you've really embraced, and that is the entrepreneurial aspect of, of naturopathic practice. And there's a book sticking out there. It's, a, it's one of those oldies but goodies, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, tell me a little bit about what you've learnt from this book. What I'm interested in, though, is where in your life did you read this book with regards to when you burnt out and, and when you came back from that? What did that... What hints and tips did that give you that you've ingrained in yourself while overcoming fatigue? So I've read this book in different aspects. Um, Audible uh, is a great way of reading um, books via audio for us beautiful, busy being busy peeps. So I first consumed it that way. And it's interesting when you're looking or hearing with a certain ear or a certain lens. Um, so when I was listening to it the first time, I was looking, at, uh, looking for business acumen. And so what I got out of it was business. Just the same as if you're looking for a certain, a certain pattern within your clients, you'll see it. Um, and sometimes you have to come with it with new eyes to be able to see the whole gamut of what's actually going on. And so when I first read it, all I saw was how to make money. And interestingly enough, uh, that put me into a beautiful tailspin of seeing way too many people in a too short a time and um, doing really well at um, the business side of things and getting burnt out. And then I read it after burnout. And Napoleon Hill was a man before his time. He was born in 1883. And um, this book has absolutely stood the test of time, not only for the core business stuff, but his mindset and his way of doing um, business when it's based on relationships and doing business when it's based on how you look after yourself and doing business when it's based on your um, mindset is extraordinary and that's why it stood the test of time and um and so seeing it from a burnout perspective there's so much more gold in there from um from the looking after yourself creating positive um people around you those those five top people to have around you and people who tire you and uh, sorry people who inspire you and not tire you and um, I really embraced that after coming back instead of um surrounding myself with that that lack mentality that um business or bust it was more um the the creating the relationships with others and myself and my mind um to create the future i want and just moving over to your workspace here you do a lot of your consultations now via skype actually i'll explain the outlook if you like so you're basically overlooking past your deck into the bush into the beyond where if you open these doors you could hear the kookaburras and the um, bluebells singing so you've got a lovely light aspect but tell me how you then focus on your work that you're doing with patients and, and how you've developed that what twigged you to doing Skype interviews and how that's developed over a period of time and indeed at the end I'm just going to um, in our mind's eye point to directly in front of you on the far wall is a map of the world which is your ultimate goal of flying around the world in a helicopter so we'll talk about that in a tick but first what inspired you to do Skype interviews and how did that develop how did it get off the ground 
Uh, one of the biggest motivators was the trip around the world, actually. Uh, so having that in my mind's eye, what I've noticed around setting goals when it comes to um, creating a life that I love is that once it's set, I will act as if it's happened. And so as soon as I set my mind to uh, traveling around the world and circumnavigating the globe in a helicopter and being the first woman to do that, it was really difficult for me to, um, to balance the idea of having a bricks and mortar business still. And so if I'm already in the mode of traveling around the world in a helicopter and I still want to help people the way that I am, in, you know, that is part of me, then I can't do that from a bricks and mortar business. So that was the number one uh, kind of kickoff to be shifting the predominant uh, kind of format to Skype. The other thing was um, I spent a lot of time on Skype uh, with clients who were seeing me from afar anyway. Most of my clients are very, very um, loyal because of the results that they've had. And so if they move to say, oh, we've got France, we've got England, we've got um, Darwin, we've got all over, um, they were, were wanting to see me anyway. So I was starting to do it via Skype anyhow. We also created the systems and structure to enable that to happen safely and effectively. So um, we've got an automated system uh, that enables uh, people to uh, sign in, make sure that they've got all of their, um, their legal docs up to date, they've got all their signs and symptoms and all that other clinical picture questioning and things like that on their client case. Um, that's all in a system that um, makes it much, much easier to do that than having to go and spend time doing that in person. And uh, I absolutely love doing it here because who wouldn't want to be surrounded by beautiful nature, beautiful, um, you know, if I, I have this massive belief that if you are in alignment with yourself and your passion and your purpose and your strengths and your gifts, and if you are looking after the cells that that, that being inhabits, so that being... Um, that has those strengths and those gifts and that alignment with, for me, it's nature and science and that you're putting that being in cells that are in alignment with the food and the people and the space and the environment that they're around. Imagine producing um, a conversation from that. Imagine having a healing conversation with somebody from that space versus burnt out, frazzled, freaking out when the next person's going to be coming through the door, worried about taking money or not taking money. And then you've got to focus on trying to get across to somebody the best for their health. Uh, yeah, totally incongruent. But if somebody's there, if somebody's at that space where they're frazzled, they're worried about the next payment, the, the, the next rent payment, they're concerned about perhaps the other practitioners that, are, that they might be working with. And I know a practitioner that's been through this. She, was actually, she actually locked the clinic at night and she was in tears and she was not coming back the next day. From there, this practitioner as well, we'll talk to her on another podcast, um, changed her life and her clinic around into being a million dollar turnover, million dollar plus turnover per year. Now she takes her um, practitioners away for weekends. And, and so she's had this life changing moment. But, but how do you teach others who are at that bad stage? Um, how do you gently steer them around to the light, if you like? 
The biggest thing that I get from the uh, prakis that I mentor is the sense of overwhelm. There are so many things and so little time and so many things that I need for not only my business, but then I need to fit in my clients and then I need to fit in the marketing and then I need to fit in um, the conversations I need to have. Then I have to fit in, um, oh, hold on a second, there's me. I have to fit in me. Oh, that's right, I've got kids too. I've got to fit in them. And then and that overwhelm, taking control of the fact that we all have 24 hours in one day. We all have 1,440 odd minutes in a day. And looking at that literally from a 15 minute by 15 minute scenario of what's actually happening this week, writing all of that down, getting a spreadsheet, writing it all down and going, this is what happened this week. And then writing your ideal down. What I really want is because often we have it in our heads that something is a certain situation until we write it down. And we all know that ourselves as practitioners. If you've ever done a food diary for yourself, you always write down a whole bunch of rubbish that you don't actually, you know, you, you always write the nicest of things that you've actually eaten that week, which you don't actually usually eat. But until you write it down in its reality of what you're actually going through week by week, then you have it in your head that you don't have all of the time. But Einstein had the time. Amelia Earhart had the time. We've all got the same amount of time. And then t taking control of that and wanting and, and creating a week of what you want creating what you would like it to look like. Do you actually want to do full days? Maybe you want to do half days instead so that you're not exhausted. Maybe you want to see clients in the morning when you're bright and sparkly and not in the afternoon when you're fatigued and tired. Maybe you want to actually spend some of that time on yourself and your self-care and um, spending time in environments that you actually like so that you can fill up your cup and then serve from your overflow when you're coming to clients rather than being co completely exhausted and then trying somehow to fill it up some other way. So I'm getting that the overarching sort of theme of that thing is honesty mm. with yourself and also with your clients and your clients with you. So given that a client might, this might be the first time that a client comes to see you or, or sees you on Skype, um, how do you get them to be absolutely honest with you about what they're eating, what they're doing, how they're acting, how they're thinking? I ask the right questions. You can't ask enough questions. There, there is always more questions to ask and a better question to ask. It's not your standard, are you experiencing this, that or the other. There is another layer to symptomology that goes into lifestyle predominantly and where they're making those choices from. Uh, where, you know, it's not just what you're eating, it's why you're eating it, how you're eating it, and what, why it's come to the point where you're eating it in that particular fashion. Um, and then there's questions of why do you have that job? Not what do you do for work? Oh, right, well, you, you must work in an environment that has a high toxic load and you might have a few more chemicals within your hepatosystem and we might be... It's why are you doing that job? Is that actually a job that, you know, that is in alignment with you? Is it something that, um, is, that you're here to do or is it something that was handed down to you by your dad or your granddad or is it from a conversation where you were trying to prove somebody wrong and then the sequelae of symptomology happens after that? Um, so it's not necessarily the scratching of the surface, it's diving deep. 
I remember speaking to Dr. Lise Alschler about why she really loves Skype interviews and she said, I love getting into their pantry. <laughs> um, so I guess how exposing is that with, with your clients? Like, do you find, whoa, there's a vast difference between what you thought they might be like, what they're presenting to the outside world and what they're actually eating? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and it is when you get them to open up the fridge. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. It's, um, it's a moment of, oh, yes, but this isn't what I usually have. <laughs> and um, we get that in clinic as well, but there is a, there's an easy out in clinic, you know, the, when the evidence is there, the evidence is there. I think the other thing I love about um, Skype is that when somebody is in their own environment, they are already talking to you about what's happening in that environment. They're already talking to you about their living situation, the conversation they just had or um, what's happening coming up later on in the day. When you're in a clinic situation, they are, there is already a, so, a socialised uh, expectation that you're going into a doctor's surgery of sorts and that you are going to get in trouble and this is the expert for it and I think when people are in their own environment they're more relaxed and more open to having a conversation that is about them and not necessarily about their symptom. I want to talk a little bit about the practicalities of getting pathology tests done. Naturopaths are not blessed in Australia with accessing Medicare rebates and so it must be done on a private basis but what are the actual realities and practicalities of ordering tests yourself um, given that GPs A may not believe in it or B are under the watchful eye of Medicare themselves and so can't and the the pragmatics of financial overuse of certain tests for instance vitamin D has got to be taken into account how do you actually achieve the practicalities of doing these tests? I am massively passionate about uh, pathology, given my background. And um, I've even, you know, I've done webinars and courses and all sorts of things for practitioners um, about pathology. It is, who cares how much it costs? My goodness. If you have an idea that somebody has uh, uh, multiple signs and symptoms that say, for instance, they have a vitamin D deficiency and it's playing a role in their uh, hormone imbalance, it's playing a role in their um, neurotransmitter, sorry, their, um, their mental health status and they've got a family history of osteoporosis or otherwise, um, or they have even some allergy kind of issues and they are all pointing towards, okay, what's underlying that? There's, a, there's very likely vitamin mineral deficiency, what are, uh, vitamins and minerals are involved? Well, vitamin D is involved in all of those. Hmm, they're a woman. Hmm, one in three women in Australia have vitamin D deficiency. Hmm, probably should see how far gone it is so that we can actually give them the vitamin D for the amount of time that they need it to absorb it. And da, 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 da. If, it, if they're, say, at the 90 kind of level, then you might only need to be giving it to them for uh, the 12 weeks. But if it, they're at a 50 type of level and they have an absorption issue or otherwise, you need to be tracking that. There isn't you can't just magically imagine that the vitamin D is going up. You ha there is a way of tracking that. And um, there's no excuses, really, for not having that done. Um, it's very, very easy for us to ring up um, different pathology companies and get, a, um, get an account with them. It's not that hard. I've got it with five different 
pathology places. I've got pathology um, request forms in in this office, in my other office. I send them to my clients. Uh, I tick them off. I explain to my clients exactly which tests that they're up for, exactly how much they cost and absolutely why they need it. If you're explaining it in that way, not in a way of, oh, maybe it might be, I'm not sure, but we'll just get it ticked off just in case and it, and it, it might cost a little bit of money. Well, of course, they're not going to feel confident in actually going in, spending the $220 it is for the CDSA that they need to get done because you can't magically identify which particular patho, patho um, organism is actually running through their gastrointestinal tract, so you've got to actually do a test for it. There are a multitude of um, pathology companies that do functional medicine testing and regular testing, and um, we have access to all of them. You just ring them and you um, explain your uh, educational background, and they will give you a level of um, a level of uh, access to the testing that is suitable for you. They'll send you the pathology request forms out and often they'll send you out some um, information or a, a test request um, kind of breakdown of what you would use them for. And you can then sign on the dotted line, tick for the, um, the client, fill it out properly and the client then goes and pays for it themselves. Again, it's really important to confidently explain to the client why it needs to get done, how much it's actually going to cost them. So it's not a shock and awe tactic when they do get there and go, oh my gosh, I didn't plan for $200 to come out. Um, and then it's really important to get back to the client as soon as those results come in. Once those results come in, if you don't know what they mean, ring up the company that you got them from. They've always got technical advisors, just like we do for any of our suppliers, and we're not quite sure about a, um, a product. We can ring up and ask technical advice on it. And they are more than willing, they're paid to sit there and do that, more than willing to explain what's happening. And they love a good puzzle just the way that um, we often do. And they love to explain that to us. And um, then you can explain it in a way that's useful, not only for you, but for your client. And there you feel empowered by those digits. And that's an amazing position for um, practitioners to be in that doctors don't have the gift of, um, of being in because they don't have the gift of time like we do. They have 15 minutes max to explain stuff, so they won't bother explaining. Oh, yes, yes, within range, within range, out of range. Here's your prescription. We get to go, this is what this means for your body. This, you know, this is iron. This is how it's used in your body. These are the things that you're, absorb uh, you're going to be taking up um, when it comes to oxygen or you're going to be lacking because of oxygen because iron actually holds on to oxygen. This is ferritin. It's actually your stored iron. It's a bit like a savings account. And the, um, this is transferrin. It's a bit like your FBOS card trying to access your savings account. And if you've only got 10 bucks left in your savings account, you're not going to be running on full steam for a little while. So there's all sorts of ways of explaining it, but it has to be empowering for, for that client. And it has to be um, something that you can feel confident in and you're only going to feel confident if you start to practice it. Do you still do many, if you like, invasive tests, blood tests, um, where you access standard pathology versus the functional pathology companies? And I guess one point I was going to make is I think it really comes down to responsible use of any pathology. You've got to have a reasonable, reasonable suspicion that doing that test is going to either confirm or change your therapy. Am I correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you wouldn't do it otherwise. <laughs> I guess where I'm going is that probably around about 10 years ago, I used to see this, um, it was a bit of a, a flurry, shall we say, um, in the naturopathic cir circles about a, an American practitioner that came out here wanting practitioners to order something in, a, in the vicinity of around about $350 worth of tests, possibly more. Um, and then, of course, quote-unquote, ordering, asking, um, standard GPs that don't believe in what they're doing anyway to run these tests, um, putting themselves in the firing line from any um, inquisition that might occur. Uh, and of course, there was a wholesale denial. Um, but my issue was the irresponsible use of that without reasonable suspicion. Just the same as anything else. You're not going to go and give your entire dispensary to somebody with the hope that uh, one thing will stick. Uh, you're not going to get the whole gamut of testing hoping that one thing will be out. Um, you are going to take a good clinical case and you're going to have question marks around what's possibly going to be the best for that person, it, be it in the dispensary or be it in a test request. And um, the exact same thing happens with testing. Yeah, you're going to have some little red flags that'll pop into your mind, just like little red flags of herbs or uh, vitamins that might pop into your mind that might be useful that, for that person. And you need to go and uh, get the, um, the, the confirmation that that is actually the case or the possibility that something else is playing a role that might be standing in the way of health and uh, that can sometimes happen too. But yeah, you wouldn't do it unless those messages were there to head you in that direction. And of course, we spoke about quitting sugar, even if it's a short-term thing to reset your body or listen to your body and find out if there is an issue. What about long-term dietary changes where somebody really needs to make a concerted effort how do you keep people on track? What sort of mind games do you play with them? <laughs> uh, so those long-term ones, part of, it, part of using pathology as something there is it's black and white. You can just go, yep, look, your sugar is out. Look, your HbA1c continues to be out. Or look, your, um, your lipid profile is well and truly out and it's not from a genetic kind of condition we need to do something about that now um, or look your fatty liver profile is still staying the same so from a pathology um, standpoint it's great to be using those as a method of tracking change and promoting uh, motivation from a black and white perspective and that often helps with um, men in particular in my in my experience um, when it comes to mind games though uh, I love connecting with clients more frequently on Skype um, in a, and I, I dare I say it, coaching capacity because it's a big bad word in, in, our, um, in our environment. We seem to have lots of practitioners that are poo-hooing the health coach kind of scenario. But coaching is actually that line of questioning that gets people to think and create an awareness of what's actually going on. And um, that's what I do. I ask them more questions and then they have the aha moment. As soon as somebody has an aha moment about, oh, so when I first came to see you, my energy was what? You wrote it down as two out of 10 and that, um, that mostly I was exhausted in the morning. I didn't come good until six o'clock at night. And now five weeks later, my energy, you wrote it down this week like you do every week and it's seven out of 10 and I'm waking up bright and early. Oh my goodness. 
And, and then there's the question of, well, where do you think that's come from? And, and what kind of things have you been doing to do that? And there, there's a series of questions that go with that. Um, and then the other thing is tracking. You can't just hope that things are going to work out. And you can't think that, I mean, I saw over 1,200 clients in one year, uh, that you're going to remember what that person did last time. So making sure that you track what they're eating one time, how they're feeling about that, and um, their kind of um, their other factors around, around food and lifestyle, that you're going to be tracking those things that are, are sensory to them. Um, their sensations of how they feel, their sensations of energy, those sensations, those other qualitative factors and not necessarily quantitative of the scales um, are really important. I loved what you were talking about there, but there was one thing that really struck me then and that was when I asked this last question and that is to do with how do you set now, how do you set long-term therapy outcomes for your patients? Because, for instance, let's say with physiotherapy, it might be, might be to achieve a certain range of movement with a joint, an articulation. With a cholesterol target dealing with a GP or a, or a cardiologist, it might be to um, maintain and sorry, attain and maintain uh, their cholesterol targets with the Framington scale or the, um, forgive me, I can't remember the other one that they use in Australia now, the, the scoring. Uh, same with diabetes, arthritis, rheumatology, da, da, da. How do you make a realistic but still challenging goal that patients can aspire to um, and what sort of parameters do you encompass in that management goal? Is it purely physical or do you look at other aspects as well? There is absolutely a physical element. We, they can't come to us about their bodies and they come to us with signs and symptoms from their cellular bodies. So we have to measure those cells through the means that we are taught to. But they come to us from a being inside that human body and that being doesn't give a rat's bottom about the result that the doctors told them is out of range. That being wants to play with their grandkids. That being wants to be around for another 15 years, not the seven that they're possibly going to be in a pre-diabetic state. Um, that being wants to um, go into retirement without having a heart attack. And um, they are always the overarching goal um, and it's based on how that person wants to feel. So for me, my, my word is um, freedom. I want to feel freedom. I also want to feel flow. And um, hence the idea that I, I do everything in my, in my world based on that. I, as you beautifully pointed out, I sit here and look at the freedom of having the space around me and, the, and nature around me. I have the flow feeling when I get into a helicopter and I also do poi as a, as a means of... Um, of uh, exercise. I also do um, ecstatic dance and all sorts of other stuff. And I, I absolutely love running my retreats because they embody everything there is for me around freedom and flow. Um, my husband, his word is courage. And I have clients who have words like safe. I have other clients who have words like um, uh, adventure. Others who have words like uh, uh, security. So those things are very different to a physical uh, number. 
But underneath that, so that's the overarching goal, a bit like an umbrella, and then we have the spokes of the umbrella and parts of those are definitely uh, that your um, XYZ pathological will be within the range of such and such and such and such. Your um, energy will be X out of 10. Your um, and, and these are all things, a conversation to be had with the client, not, to, not for you to make that up. They have to be on board with that um, so that it's empowering them in their own outcomes, their own health. Now, I said, of course, that, that was the last question, but no, this is going to be the last question. How do you, how do you show people, your patients, to choose that word? How do they discover that word? Uh, the, the original way I did it was, uh, was something I used to do in uh, the retreats. And we used to have a conversation or a meditation of sorts where we would cast um, the, the participants' minds back to times of their life when they were the most them that they had ever been. So when were you the most you you have ever been? When did you completely embody your you-ness? And um, say, for instance, it's Sally. So Sally, when were you the most Sally you could ever imagine being? And um, sometimes that might be within their teenage years. And I'd say, okay, before then, when you were a kid, when you were really little, when were the most you you could possibly have been? When were you the epitome of... And sometimes we use the word happiness and everyone wants to be happy. So it's kind of a throwaway term. So you can use the word happy, but then they have to drill down into their word. And then think of another time in your early adulthood. When were you the most you you'd ever been? And those moments come to mind and you can feel it on a, you know, you get them to that spot where you can actually feel it on a physical level, where you get those butterflies in our tummy. One of our, our retreats, um, one of our participants said, when I was flying in my little red rocket tra um, trailer, the, you know, the little ones that used to be dragged around as a kid, and my big brother was taking me and I felt like I was flying. And I felt um, a, a sense of adventure that... Um, I hadn't had for such a long time. And she hadn't had that in over 40 years. And to have that moment and that experience, viscerally, she could feel it in her cells. She then brought that to the now and everything that she chose for her life and her business and her family was based on that sensation of, of um, where she was at when she was a kid. Tammy, I'm overwhelmed with what you are as a practitioner, indeed a woman and a human being, you're an incredible force. And I'm just, I'm so thankful for you inviting us into your house and your clinic um, today to share what you do with our listeners with FX Medicine. And, just, and I'd just like to leave our listeners with something that I just spied out on the back deck. And it's just this lovely, it's made out of three pieces of wood and it's painted red with the white sort of background with a heart on it and it just says love what you do full stop thank you so much for joining us on fx medicine today thanks andrew this is fx medicine i'm andrew whitfield cook if you've enjoyed what you've heard today on fx medicine please engage with us and let us know what further topics you'd like us to cover you can get in contact with us through our website, fxmedicine.com.au, or look for FX Medicine in your favourite social media platform. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, and we'd really like to thank those who have already rated us. It's through your continued support 
that enables us to bring you current, complex and relevant topics to enhance your practice of natural medicine.